0: It's Brigham Young Money, and we are back, and it is me, Kyle, and it is Greg joining alongside me today. Hello,
1: Greg. Hello, and happy 9-11 to everyone, and (laughs) happy uh, five-year anniversary to Ted Cruz liking an incest porn tweet. It was a beautiful moment, I think, (laughs) that we all shared together that day. We really, everyone, I feel like everyone came together. In that moment.
0: I know it was, it was, it was really great to see. And yeah, you know, I, on, on this, on this beautiful nine 11, I think it's, I mean, I couldn't pick a, a, a more it's
1: beautiful, 9/11. sorry.
0: It's a beautiful day. I it was, mean, it was, it was gorgeous. And like, you know, in, 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 in the words of, of Donald Trump's Twitter account back in 2013, I would like to extend my best wishes to all, <laughs> even the haters and losers on this special date September 11th I think literally those, the best
1: tweet of all time
0: I think those immortal words I think just really ring true um through the the attitude I'm I, I'm I carry through not only just today but in my daily life I think it's important that we everyone keep that with us but I think I mean on the on this beautiful day again specifically talking about the weather <laughs> it's, it's been it's been very it's been very nice aside from the smoke um I think it's, I, I'm really excited to announce something. And I think it's something that we've been trying to keep on the down low for a long time. And, uh, but this, you know, this podcast has a sponsor now. And I think it's it's a big day for us. And we're
1: thrilled. It's about, we I mean, the thing is, is that we I don't want to hear courting, any sellout talk either.
0: No, absolutely not. And we haven't been courting sponsorship. Um, this isn't something that we've been, you know, trying to. Trying to get, but like we had, we had a suitor approach us, and um, you know the name is an ideal. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there, <laughs> uh, but it is America First uh, it's a Credit Union sponsoring this podcast, and I understand that there's connotations around America First, you know, dating back to the the early uh, 20th century. But you know, when the bag approaches us in the way that it has i think it's important that we just accept it so
1: well, you know they gave a studio
0: space at the at the new fields it's it's really great we're we're actually recording on site tonight um they saw
1: our uh our eat the rich stickers and they were just huge fans
0: yeah they big huge huge fans of the podcast this is a 15 year deal somewhere in the ballpark of you know 100 million dollars uh i i'm not, i i i just quit my job on it's, a sunday it's huge yeah so you know america first is going to be the new attitude and motto of this podcast and there's gonna be some big changes around here i think it's really time i we we clean things up because quite honestly with this we've just been wait we've been on the commie train way too much and i think it's time we really like it's about time i
1: get to start i get to start living like my role model joe rogan Absolutely correct. And
0: and honestly, you know, as we all get older, we all know that we get we get more conservative because we get smarter and we get we get more wise and we experience the upward trajectory of American society that we're all on real rising tide situation we've got going on currently there's no looking back, and so you know I think it's it's going to be important that you all stick along for the ride. But if you don't, it's fine. Greg and I just have you well, know, I, you know,
1: deal. I mean, the thing is, we don't need your Patreon money.
0: <laughs> we really, <laughs> we really don't. So uh, sorry, no more donations
1: to uh, abortion funds. Um, no, I'm finally getting a pool in my backyard. <laughs> I, I would.
0: I'll move in. How about that? The, I'll oh just, yes. You know what? Wait. With this cat, we'll, we should just buy up the whole block. Honestly, we're going to. Yeah. We should build. We should build luxury condos down the street from you. We should tear down part of the abs and just build. You mean what what's already
1: happening all yeah. over?
0: Yeah, of course. For those uh, uninitiated, the local soccer team here signed a gigantic deal for their stadium rights, being <laughs> changed from Rio Tinto, the strip mining company that's uh, been Sponsored. destroying the planet.
1: Sp- and didn't they sponsor like a, a genocide? Uh,
0: I recommend people look at the Rio Tinto Wikipedia page and you'll, uh, you'll have some fun. It's, there. it's a
1: good, it's a good time. Real uh, fun. So
0: Real Salt Lake has changed their stadium. <laughs> it's now America first field, uh, which is named after the America first credit union, uh, a Utah staple. And it turns out the second that, uh that, um, the name of this field was publicized to people that don't live in Utah. The jokes basically wrote themselves for uh well, they're still going. And Dude, the
1: RSL's Twitter account uh blocked me. E- oh, they got you? They they got me because uh. I, I said that you know I can't wait for their first whiteout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So listen. And again, like their logo may or may not be a very fashy looking eagle. <laughs> there is something it's kind of weird. Like it's obviously, so gross, America, dude, I'm like the like like first just... credit union has been around for a long time, but like they're just kind of around, you know, I, I I, don't really. And they've been a sponsor for RSL for a while. But when they like make this gigantic announcement or they're like, you know, we're going to have local business leaders, local politicians. The commissioner of the league is coming to make a gigantic, huge announcement about the future of the club and the community. And the announcement ends up just being that we're changing the name to America first in a league in which they're trying to try to squash out just general polit- divisive political speech, as they would uh, describe it. Um, not a great look, if you ask me, but yeah, yeah,
1: um, you know. You can't, you can't you can't have is. the name America first and then try not to have divisive speech, <laughs> especially when America first was at one time the literal slogan of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> not it's not good. If you just like if you go to Google images and type in like in quotation marks, just type in America first. Just just see what pops up.
1: Over there. Yeah, real fun. Just, real just see
0: what pops up. It's a fun little thing. Uh, I think there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to that slogan as well. But
1: yeah, there's it. there are like hundreds of articles too. If you're an article head, if you like enjoy reading The Nation and The Atlantic, and
0: yeah, and the reason why it became a thing again is because Donald Trump picked that as like I don't know if that was an official campaign speech. The Donald Trump, uh, well, it was his supercat.
1: inauguration speech. He was talking about like from now on, it's America first. Yeah. And like, you know, they made gear
0: and all of that that said that the official Trump super pack is called America first. Yeah. Um, And then people are like, hey, man, you know, that's a KKK thing. That's like a it's it's not it's not great. (laughs) And, you know, I you know, it's pretty obvious they knew uh, what they were doing. Um, And uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember there was something else. Oh, yeah. So. America First was a phrase first used or used by the Ku Klux Klan at its peak in the 1920s, where racist xenophobic sentiment was widespread. The Immigration Act of 1924, sponsored by Washington U.S. Representative Albert Johnson, proved to legislate xenophobia and white supremacy, inc- excluding immigrants on the basis of ethnicity and national origin in an effort to preserve white racial demographics. Johnson's leading role in the immigration restriction bill elicited strong support from the Ku Klux Klan. Later in the 1930s and early 1940s, the term became associated with fascism and bigotry against Jews as mouthpieces for anti-Semitism, including Elizabeth Dilling, Gerald L.K. Smith, and Charles Lindbergh became leaders for the America First causes. It's like... Sick. I mean, so Again, I know this I, I is a credit wait. union, and the company itself, better than Rio Tinto, the name, however... When you when you just got rid of your racist billionaire owner for being racist, naming the stadium America America First First. Field is like not 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 great, guys.
1: Not not great. It's
0: not it's, it's not what we want to hear. But, you know. Is what it is. Congrats to all those involved, all the haters and losers on this beautiful day. I think it's um, <laughs> we, we learn and we love and boy, are we loving Greg? Do you want to? Oh, I just realized we don't have Jordan here to do the uh, um, the song. Sadly, uh, Jordan is out wandering the desert a la Moses. I think I'm not he's, really sure. He's doing
1: peyote in somewhere <laughs> outside of Las Vegas, like Tony Soprano. I mean, okay. Okay. I don't know the a name of Petrol Awakening.
0: Yeah, I don't know the name of Jordan Shaman, but I do know he's very reputable and has like f- at least four and a half stars on Yelp, which is where Jordan
1: found the Shaman. So <laughs> that's where yeah, I do I, all my Shaman shopping is on Yelp.
0: It, yeah, it, it, look, and I'm pretty sure the Shaman was one of those guys that was you know essentially holding his reviews hostage, um, and it, it's it is what it is. But and I think there was a mix of peyote, ayahuasca. <laughs> um some other types of psychedelics so it's just, just, it's, sen-
1: it's just everything Aaron
0: Rodgers did this off season
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but hopefully Jordan brings us back some like um freshly brewed kombucha and he's feeling restored <laughs> ready to go when he's out of the desert um i think he's in some type of hogan for the next few uh, <laughs> weeks though so. Um, but Greg, why don't you, uh, talk us through the hell lines? Because I feel like
1: it's been a bit of a busy few days. Yeah. Anyway, here's the drop. Welcome to hell motherfucker. Ooh, ah, Ooh, ah, ah, ah. there we go. All right, nice. there we go. Oh, I <laughs> Ready to go. I'm editing. I could put stuff, whatever. Anyway, nah, no, we'll we're not going to do out. that. No, nah, fuck that. <laughs> okay. Way too much effort. Uh, hell line number one, the queen died. Uh, <laughs> cool. She was 96. She was a bad person and lived a terrible life and, uh, you know, rest in piss. Yeah. OK,
0: so I was reading something today like that. Um I'm trying to remember. I need to find the uh, exact number, but essentially like the wealth tax doesn't apply to the the Monarchy's fortune that's passed down when the, somebody the dies,
1: bajillions of dollars. Yeah, and it's ordered
0: to preserve the monarchy, and it's something that applies to everyone else in the it's UK. So but fucking, just,
1: why do they? Why? Like, what is? Why is there?
0: Know.
1: It's the dumbest shit.
0: I I, I wish England, I understood.
1: England is the dumbest country. <laughs> it's so stupid. I honestly,
0: your monarchy is shittier than your food. It's it's crazy, man. I, I, you know, for, for almost everything I saw, I mean, I, I saw indifference being maybe the, the most sympathetic uh, as like in general. I think most of the opinions I was reading were like lots of jokes, obviously. It was a great day for jokes. Um, it's, sadly, it's a great
1: day for everyone who is isn't English.
0: Well, yeah. Well, even a lot of like English people were like. Yeah, like I joined some Twitter Spaces that day, and I listened to one for about uh, fifteen minutes, and it ended with a guy saying that this is finally, um, like the you know, in order to preserve the democracy in this country, we need we need to start letting dogs vote. Really funny stuff. <laughs> and, awesome. Um, so they're taking it very seriously over there, from what it sounds like. But I did see some pretty concerning clips of. Uh, people singing "God Save the King" outside of Buckingham Palace, which was just great. But yeah. I think you know what I'm most concerned about here is sadly this did lead to the postponement of the Premier League, which led to our dear friends Colin and Sarah, yeah, being in Liverpool with uh,
1: without a Liverpool game to see. So I do have one question, and that is sure. I wonder how J.K. Rowling feels now that the uh, <laughs> the Queen has transitioned into a into a king
0: you know i'm sure that's it's a difficult time for everyone i'm sure she'll address it in her next book which i won't read i can't wait i (laughs) i I need to read her latest one it seemed great sparked a lot of really good conversation all
1: right we gotta we gotta hurry up on those oh that's
0: right sorry we have a guest today and uh we do have him coming on soon so we'll get through the rest of these pretty quick i'm just yeah
1: i'm gonna do kind of a speed read on all these because they're you know it's been a minute since we've done an episode and these have been out for a minute um so most people have a pretty good grasp anyway jackson mississippi doesn't have clean water Hell line number two. So this is from the BBC. A devastating combination of aging infrastructure and climate change has ultimately led to the latest collapse of Jackson's water supply. In 2020, freezing temperatures caused Jackson's water treatment facility to shut down. And for years, state funding was poured into the infrastructure of towns and areas around Jackson. But they've missed... The facilities that need it most including jackson's water treatment plant and things have gotten so bad that jackson's residents have to boil their drinking water and have been advised to quote shower with their mouth shut unquote. and uh, experts and advocates say what is happening is Jackson and towns like Flint in Michigan, uh where the water supply was con- contaminated with lead, is a direct legacy of generations of discrimination and segregation.
0: This like, is seriously like one of the most horrifying things. I, I'm sure people it's, have it's seen it's like, the videos state stuff, stuff, dude, like it's so bad. It's I mean, it's developing nation third world country stuff for real. And we have this in pockets all across the country, and, and it just and happens
1: a, to be in places that are, like, uh, the high majority of people are, are African-American.
0: Yeah. It's like, this is like, they've known this as a problem for decades. Um, people didn't have water for like at least two or three weeks in areas of Jackson starting about a month ago. And then after that, once they got water back now it's like all water has to be boiled. And, um, you know, like as, as like one of the things you mentioned, like there's been infrastructure or investment into infrastructure around Jackson, but due to like white flight and just completely the the defunding of of services and infrastructure in Jackson has been just like directly. Uh, it's just resulting the. It's, in this, it's, and it's so gross. It's, it's so like horrifying. the result of
1: like the bigger conservative project, which is to defund every single public service to the point that it collapses and then they point the finger and say see it doesn't work so they yeah. can private taxes
0: forever it. and cut taxes forever and then just be like yes yeah, so your government fails you so we need to privatize it more as yeah. if like the private enterprise would step up and fix this problem it's, it's so just
1: unbelievably insidious yeah it's just, like it's the, it, it's, it's, fucking, it's it's like 101 and why libertarianism is bullshit yeah Oh, 100%. This is like, this is, this, this is, is a great the example. This is like, the, yeah, this is welcome to your libertarian
0: dream. Yeah. I mean, all, yeah, all of this, this capitalist nonsense, it's just, it's, yeah. it's horrifying and it's just left, it's, it's a crime against humanity. Like what's, yeah. what's taking place.
1: At any rate, uh, um, if you have some extra bucks, kick it over to some people in Jackson so they can get some clean water. I'm sure there are mutual aid groups on Twitter. There has right? to be.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Hell line number three. Tell us all. So from the USA Today, the DNA from a now-arrested elected Nevada official was found at the scene of a Las Vegas reporter slain, authorities said Thursday, revealing the official was also upset about stories the reporter was pursuing. So Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis, 45, lost his reelection bid in June amid fallout from a series of critical articles, um... From Las Vegas Review Journal investigative reporter Jeff German, who published uh, the stories earlier this year and tell us who faces one count of murder with a deadly weapon, made his first court appearance Thursday and was denied bail. And, you know, we, we joke a lot on this podcast about, you know, the rising tide of fascism and just kind of where this country is headed and it really Mainly feels like that's the only way we know how to deal with it yeah so. I, it's it's totally a coping <laughs> mechanism but like this like politicians going and killing journalists like is a little it, it hits the nail right in the head like yeah it's, it's pretty horrifying stuff this story is so really, interesting and really, really terrible freaky. stuff
0: yeah yeah man there's a lot i'm like i'm interested to see what happens because i think as of now he's still can like he's still getting paid and being he's still in office i know like he was denied bail um but i'm pretty sure he's still uh you know uh, has there ever
1: been i mean i really i really don't know has there ever been like an active politician who's like on trial for or or under investigation for murder or like i guess who's been under arrest or like under arrest I, I i don't even know like is this guy in jail right now or is he posted bail i i don't i think i'm pretty sure he's still
0: in jail um
1: that is wild man
0: yeah he's still in jail uh but he will continue uh getting paid as uh, in his elected position that he awesome. currently has but he did he did lose his primary but he's still technically in office so
1: awesome um <laughs> that's good well uh hell Line number four uh it just it keeps happening So this is from KUTV. A former bishop of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been arrested as part of an ongoing sex abuse investigation involving multiple victims over the course of several decades. Carl Johnson, 77, was arrested in Orem on Wednesday and booked into the Davis County Jail on seven counts of aggravated sexual abuse of a child. Detectives say... Johnson abused children as young as two years old, and held numerous positions of trust in the church, including as a bishop. Oh, and Johnson also served as mayor of West Bountiful City in the nineties.
0: It does keep happening,
1: and I—it's like, just more I... and more powerful people are getting ex- like in who held positions in the church. More of these stories just continue to come out, and it's just like I—I I just I don't know when the church decides to actually reconcile or like admit that it has a sexual abuse problem because there are so many examples and there are so much evidence between this and the hotline and Boy Scouts of America and just the laundry list of people who have come forward. I just – I I don't know, I know. How, how they're going to just be able to continue to sweep this under the rug.
0: And I don't know how they reckon with the past uh, because, I mean – what we've seen them do time and time again with like, you know, different types of external pressures is change or like have kind of, you know, conveniently timed um, revelation, as it were, to change yeah. like certain things the church does. And I could see that happening pretty soon where I think there, were, there would probably be different protocols because there is more heat on them right now about this kind of thing than there ever really has been. So. Yeah,
1: I think, honestly, this might be the first time in years I watch conference. Ooh, and see what the, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they say. Uh, I just don't see how you can't at this point. I mean, like, what I'm kind of
0: expecting them to do is be a bit more quiet about it and like, the, in in the direction they give to uh, area authorities, which is, and then delegated down to, like, stake authorities and then bishops, etc. I think that's probably, like, then they're going to start to change little things that way just because... I mean, there's, there's, there's too many people on this beat now to let them continue to get away with like the, like the hotline, for instance, like that's just, um, I, I just don't think yeah. it can, can continue to happen that way. But I But I, guess I can we'll also see. see
1: like you, they have such a, I know that they're absolutely hemorrhaging followers yeah. and like, you know, um, uh, what is it? Missionaries are at a. At a pretty historic low as well and but it makes me wonder if they just go like scorched earth and they they just continue to kind of dig their heels in and gaslight and you know like this yeah and they they do the fake news thing and realize like we have who we have we have our loyal and our true and our faithful and that's who we're sticking with i'm just i'm very interested in how this turns out like it's I think it's, you're right. It's, it it's certainly doesn't make things, right? It does. Yeah. I think it does. It turns into a numbers
0: game, right? Mm-hmm, I think so. But I mean, yeah, they did lose a lot of money on crypto. I think <laughs> was it crypto or was it like other, inv- I don't know. <laughs> I, they did lose a
1: lot in crypto. Yeah. Uh, I don't know they, the exact numbers, but then, yeah, they lost a lot in the, uh, the Stark market as well over the last few years. Which, yeah. I
0: guess it's all going to depend on if BYU can go undefeated this year. I think that yeah. might change things one way or the other, but we'll yeah. see.
1: And then uh, we're going to end on some good news just real quick. And that is on Friday, uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred said the Major League Baseball notified the Major League Baseball Players Association today that they are prepared to voluntary, voluntarily recognize the minor league players union absolutely love Something
0: to minor. see it and yeah. there is um there's a really good uh podcast called tipping pitches um and Hell they, yes. yeah they're great yeah they had a really good episode about um I, or I listened to one episode but essentially like they've been really on this beat for a while i guess but um they are I, I know at least one of the guys is i think he's in the ringer union but um they're like labor enthusiasts fans of baseball so. Um, they have some really good stuff on this. If that interests you, I, I really like what uh, their podcast about. I don't really like baseball, but I listened to some of their stuff about this, and uh, it's pretty great. So, well, looks like I have something
1: to listen to tomorrow. That rules, hundred
0: percent, man. Oh yeah, love to see it. Well, um, our guest today is um, our, our our sweet sweetie friend Nate Housley on Twitter, and um, we'll cut over to an interview with him here in a moment. Um, but he. Uh, is going to talk to us a lot about um, what he's doing um, with Save Our Great Salt Lake and just kind of talk to us about uh, something that's been on all of our minds for a while. (laughs) Um, Just the situation with the Great Salt Lake and what we're going to be faced with moving forward and the efforts underway to try to reverse uh, the inevitable collapse that we're kind of facing. So hopefully um, we leave this interview feeling optimistic. We haven't recorded it yet, so um we'll see how it goes but we're really excited to talk to nate any
1: any parting words greg no that's that's really it i'm i would say without further ado uh enjoy the interview folks
0: hello everyone and welcome back this is the interview portion nate you missed out on the the intro portion which is where we gave away what Jordan was doing out in the desert. But, gotcha. um, but Hey, hello, Nate, do you want to introduce yourself me to me meeting? How about you introduce yourself? I want, I want you to be able to really, really sell yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to do that. I love to sell myself, um, over the, over the airwaves. That's right. Um, yeah, my name's Nate Housley. Um, I am a historian. Um, uh, I, I would say, a a public historian, I guess, um, in my day job. Um, I'm a historian of the American West. And uh, I'm a founding member of Save Our Great Salt Lake. And um, I'm just a a Salt Lake guy. I'm just like (laughs) run-of-the-mill Salt Lake City guy. We love a Salt Lake guy. (laughs) Awesome. I'm pretty
0: sure, yeah, like that's kind of the theme of this podcast is just being (laughs) Salt Lake guys. We are Salt Lake guys through and through. (laughs) Yeah, for better or worse. And somebody (laughs) like... You know, so yeah, we're gonna be talking about the Great Salt Lake, but uh, if we did like a mailbag mm-hmm. episode a few weeks ago and somebody was like asking us about how we feel like the long term prospects of living here. and like right. we're we, you know, we're from here, like our families are here, our friends are here, et cetera. So we're like we're going down with the ship, man. We're Salt Lake guys. <laughs> I think that's what like what really makes a Salt Lake Guy Salt Lake guy right now is like rotting this <laughs> shit out. <laughs>
1: like it's for just sure. such a good home, at least for like right now it's just such a good home base for the stuff that I like to do and my friends and family are here so it's like yeah I <laughs> at least for the for the foreseeable future we'll see we'll see what things look like I don't know like 5-10 years from now but as yeah. of right now like I don't know part of me it kind of makes me feel like some of those people who like didn't evacuate after all the warnings before uh what was it Mount St. Helens something like but, that
0: It's all right, man. But hey, I
1: I like it here, man. This is the optimistic
0: part of the episode, right, Nate? Like, we're about to be optimistic.
2: Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) yeah. yeah, (laughs) We're about to be
0: optimistic. So, okay. You're a founding member of Save Our Great Salt Lake. Tell us about what the goals of this organization are and what you're trying to accomplish. I think it's kind of self explanatory in the name, but give it to us. Give it to us straight, Nate.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. As as the name implies, um, we're, we're trying to save Great Salt Lake. Uh, what we're trying to do specifically is achieve uh, permanent protection for the lake. Um, right. So that is, it's going to require uh, a shift in policy for sure. Absolutely. Um,
0: how many more field trips yeah. do you think our uh, representatives are going to need to take in, like a Black Hawk helicopter or whatever, in order I, to take it seriously?
2: Yeah, I think five more trips okay. in the Black Hawk helicopter. Like <laughs> yeah. that's going to seal the deal. Is
1: that individual trips? Like just <laughs> they're just going to fly out one member of the legislature okay. at all times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, they're journey. not actually going to like pack anybody in. It's just going to be Spencer Cox and like his bud. <laughs> I uh, I had somebody.
0: Somebody posted, I can't remember who it was, but I saw, I was, I saw on Instagram, somebody was sharing like old postcards from like the early touristy days of the Great Salt Lake when it was like a beach and like a resort and a destination. And when I think salt just air
1: like, was like a thing. Yeah, oh,
0: yeah. But like even more than that, where like, literally like there were like marked beaches that like people would go to yeah. around the lake of when, um, that was like a thing. And, uh, I, I, what's, I think, you know, something that's so striking about the Salt Lake in particular versus like the rest of the uh the kind of the more nebulous or harder things for like more comfortable people in this country to grasp uh, as far as the effects of climate change go is like these are things that we can very definitively and clearly see uh change year after year or for people that are a bit older like decades after decades um like the change is so unbelievably noticeable uh that I think one it's disappointing that it's gotten to this point it's not surprising uh but I think like what you're saying the need for like permanent solutions uh has to be like at the yeah. forefront of of all of our Salt Lake guys and gals and they minds because yeah yeah
2: mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's right. Um, it is. I mean, one thing that we have to get our heads around too is like you said, like um, the, the landscape has changed. The lake has changed over the course of decades um, over the course of years, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like we have to get used to the landscape as, as something that is dynamic, sure.
1: but yeah, that I also mean, ch- means-
2: change is inevitable, right? change is inevitable and we have to plan for that. And right now we're in a situation where we didn't plan for that. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we're way on, you know, we're on our back foot trying to respond to changes that are occurring where really we, we really need to build that into the way that we manage water.
0: Yeah. So assuming we don't do that and we continue on this trajectory, which I would like to assume that's not what we do. But in the case, that is what happens. Um, being a historian, I assume you have some foresight into like what you think is going to be happening. And I know we've gotten a lot of uh, um, pretty high-profile journalism that's been taking place about the Great Salt Lake, a lot of which our governor decided to take as like a personal attack against him, which maybe it should yeah. be in a lot of cases. but um, I mean, he, he is the guy in charge. Well, yeah, but like he's such a baby about that stuff what from like your perspective could you like describe what the future holds assuming we do like essentially lose the lake
2: um yeah i mean so i think the the most instructive uh cases have been actually from other terminal lakes around the world um or in the case of uh, Owens Lake in California. Um, So Owens Lake, this has gotten a lot of attention, especially in in connection with Great Salt Lake. But what happened was Los Angeles diverted its water source and let that lake almost completely dry up. And so then the the dusty lake bed was exposed. Mm -hmm. And now that area... Um, I mean, they're trying to like remediate it, which is costly and not very effective. And that area is still the largest source of dust on, on the North American continent. Um, and I, I mean, this is the thing is, so another example is uh, Lake Ermia in Iran, a Terminal Lake. Uh, they diverted all the water uh, for agriculture and it's just, it just causes compounding problems right like the lessons and people will say this from those regions is they just say like you want to prevent this at all costs you do not want it to get to this point where the lake dries up and you're having to spend all this money to try to remediate it which is very expensive and that's gonna happen like regardless of people might say like, oh, we'll just let it dry up or whatever. Like that's that's not an option. That's not gonna happen. If it does dry up more than it has been, like we're gonna be spending a lot more to get a lower quality of life, right? It's just not very effective to try to recover from something like that. It is much, much better to prevent it from ever happening.
0: Yeah, so like those, I mean, those impacts on, on our life, could you speak to like, I mean, obviously there would be, Ecological impacts for, you know, different ecosystems of animals. um, I I would, I could assume. And then there's been a lot of talk about the like poisonous dust bed of of arsenic, the arsenic Um, dust clouds. What exactly? What's what does that mean for for me, (laughs) Salt Lake guy?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So for a Salt Lake guy, I mean, this is already. Um we're already seeing some of the effects of this. Uh the the dry lake bed. The
1: the the monsoon winds that we had this year, just alone, how dusty everything was. Yeah. If that's a preview of things to come, that's a pretty dire state of affairs.
2: Uh yeah. I mean (laughs) I we'll see what happens. I mean, it could well be a preview of of what's going to happen. I mean, it's it will get worse from here, but we already are seeing some of the effects. That dust is already in the air. Um, um, arsen, arsenic, which is naturally occurring, but also there are uh, heavy metal uh, pollutants from various industries that have all washed into the lake and settled on the lake bed, which is now exposed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what that means for you is is more dust, um, but also uh, Great Salt Lake is a huge body of water, and that mm-hmm. acts as something that, I mean, historically, it's moderated the local climate, right? It is not as cold as it otherwise would be in the winter, and it's not as hot as it otherwise would be in the summer. And so any anytime you're really messing with something on that scale in like a local climate, you're going to start to get things that are more extreme, and and that causes more weirdness, right? yeah um drought is i mean like we're we kind of think of like oh yeah there's no water that means drought but like the flip side of that you know kind of counterintuitively is also like flash flooding right floods come when the soil dries up because it can't absorb um, excess water or excess snow melt or whatever it is yeah. uh, the case might be, it just creates a lot of weirdness. Um, a lot of change that we have trouble adapting to on, on the scale of, you know, a human being.
0: Yeah. I mean, we see like what happens anytime like Vegas or St. George gets big monsoon rains and like streets, lake beds, people's backyards are all getting like completely washed out because of, uh, because of that soil. And I, I, you know that 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 like weirdness that changing i like i mean we've had i think what can be described as the hottest summer in salt lake on record um, we hit 100 degrees more times this year than we ever have and i like i saw people um, you know taking issue with like the Net national weather service's readings and right. they, i mean they were they were saying like oh like where you're measuring is but like you know where they're measuring
1: is a also doesn't does, it, that does would it be matter impacted. if it's does it matter if it's 107 degrees or 97 degrees? The fact of the matter is it's hot as fuck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it's bad, but like they were saying that like essentially, you know, uh you, you, taking issue with the measurements, but essentially like where they're measuring is a place that's going to be impacted by that like receding lake bed and that soil like all that area is just going to be like naturally getting hotter over time. So like I that that's that seems to me to be like an indication of of what's changing and not an issue with, like, the measurements or the readings themselves. Um, it, but like you're saying, like, the small that, smaller that lake gets, um, I feel feels like we're, we're on, on track for more summers like this one, where uh, we had multiple 100-degree days in a row here in September, which was a result of a few different things. But, like, just that general heat that we'd be dealing with um, kind of seems untenable. Uh, but, you know... I don't make the rules. God
1: does. (laughs) And like, it seems like, at least from what I've been reading, what I've gathering for people is like talking about this changing climate and just the the change in the environment with the Great Salt Lake is that it's creating this very vicious cycle that the more that the lake bed is exposed and you talked about, you know, like the different metals and the arsenic and everything else that are coming out of this lake, this exposed lake bed, it's creating these dust clouds that then get blown up into the mountains in, in the winter months And then that depletes and melts the snow, which makes it so that like the, the lake becomes more and more depleted. And it just creates this, this huge cycle that I I don't know how you reverse that. Like how, how is, how can that be undone?
2: Yeah. Um, that is, that's a really good question. Um, you're absolutely right is, you know, as the lake dries up, there is this kind of feedback loop that it gets locked into. Um I mean a lot of that is is global climate change. Yeah. Um a lot of that is is what you know people so experts now are saying, you know, we're not in a drought because droughts are temporary, you know, they last a few years. Yeah. We're in, you know, they're calling it a mega drought or aridification because we're trending hotter and drier. And that's a that's a result of global climate change. Um, but at the same time, like we absolutely do have control over how much water gets diverted that would otherwise go to the lake and cover that dust. And so we can absolutely do something about Great Salt Lake yeah. in order to, I mean, again, right, like things change. Uh, these, these forces are dynamic. We need to be planning for and, and accounting for the worst case scenarios. And right now we're, we're, we're just seeing a double whammy.
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's a really good point and like Utah's a really interesting s- spot because I mean in a lot of places across the country that might be feeling different types of effects from from global climate change um, there's really not a lot for them to do locally in order to to make that like any sort of impact on, on those changing conditions which I guess I mean, it's obviously disempowering, but like this is a global problem that requires uh, much bigger solutions than, you know, people in a municipality in the like upper Midwest uh, being able to have have large impacts on. But here it's kind of like we're dealing with the microcosm, but we're also doing a lot of things locally incorrectly or doing things very wrong that are making a big difference um, and having real impact that we absolutely should be changing. So, you know, the f- like stuff that the federal government doesn't need to like save us from, or like global climate accords, like doesn't need to save us from. Like, we have a lot of things that should be changing here locally to make to make that that difference. Um, so, like, in, in August, you you wrote uh, an op-ed in the Tribune. Tell us a little bit about that. And I know, like, it was kind of along kind of this the stream of things that were coming out around that time, following up on, like, the New York Times article, talking about agriculture as well. But tell us a little bit about what you talked about in that article.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the, the kind of impetus for that um, was we wanted to respond to... Uh, the episode of of the Daily, the New York Times uh, podcast, um, there was a reporter who, who came out, took a look at the lake. Um, so he he did this kind of interesting thing, where he acknowledged that uh, you know about seventy percent of water, um, at least in the Great Salt Lake Basin, um, goes towards agriculture. And then he spent the rest of the episode talking about population growth and and you yeah. know what we what we call municipal uh, usage right residential usage, um, and so you know I wanted to respond to that because it's kind of it's kind of an interesting thing here and it's I mean it's it's more than just like this reporter I'm not trying to like single yeah. him out and put him on blast right, right? but um, there's this phenomenon where we don't know how to get our heads around agriculture in the yeah. west. Um, and so I wanted to, to point that out is like, we, that's the, that's the bulk of water usage, right? And that's, that's a problem in the whole region. That's a problem even along the Wasatch front, which is so quote unquote urbanized, right? Like we don't think of it as like urban, but when we're talking about water, this is urban. Um, but I mean, again, right? Like, uh, you know, the uh, a paper I've seen put the figure at sixty three percent of of Great Salt Lake Basin water consumption goes towards agriculture. It may be as high as seventy percent, but the point is that's the big that's the big immovable object in all of this. This is yeah. the thing that we have to tackle. But in order to do that, we have to like make sense of that, right? Like the average person needs to understand, like what that looks like um, and that's, in that is something that's complex.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, and it's made complex by, for, for a lot of different reasons because like, you know, you describe it as immovable, but like it's the way it's talked about by it. We we're, we're in a unique position because our governor is literally an alfalfa farmer. And that, that does make a big difference about how like the discourse around this, because he's, he's quite often, obfuscated like what the actual problem is like he'll say things like oh only 15 percent like his response to a lot of this was like oh well only 15 percent of alfalfa is exported so like that that, that the, the number that you're saying 63 to 70 percent of ag- agriculture then estimated three-fourths of that agriculture is alfalfa and then he says oh well the issue that i'm going to take issue with is that people are saying that oh it's it's exported elsewhere and he's like no only 15 percent is so like you know of the alfalfa grown here is used for animals here. Isn't that great? Like that's, that's good. Completely disregarding the, the, the actual question of being, Hey man, maybe we shouldn't be able, we, we clearly can't have this level of agriculture. This isn't a sustainable thing. So like he, he often makes the, the arguments and like this, the discussions around like he won't, he won't even engage with like the actual question. And like that's a big problem it seems that we have is that there is just no engaging with that actual question. And I don't know if it's it's purely like a, like a federalism type thing where we have – where every state feels like they need to be able to completely self-sustain, which is a completely like bogus premise. And I don't know if that's just like the borderline built-in – assumption i guess that like he's taking where it's like you know we're a state so we have to have these things we have to have agriculture to support the state even if it's completely killing everyone um instead of like like you know why are there not options on the table to like pay people to relocate like there it's like we're 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 literally draining the state so i mean how do we change that discussion like because other than just angrily tweeting at the governor, which is is what I do or like talk to, to representatives. But it's really frustrating and insane that we have, you know, an alfalfa farmer governor who like, like this is an existential question. It's not about like exports or whatever. It's literally about like can or should like ethically, morally, all of that. Should this be able to take place here? And I would argue that it's pretty clear that on this trajectory, on this trajectory, that it, it shouldn't be. So, how do we change that conversation? That's a uh, big question. Sorry. It. It. No, no,
2: no. That is loaded. You're right. That's a big question. But these these are exactly the questions that we need to ask. I mean, just asking this question and talking about it. This puts us on. You know, in my opinion, it's a little small. Step, but this kind of puts us on the right track to tackle these big questions. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer this in a couple parts because I want to, sure. because I want to go back to um, what Spencer Cox said about the 15% that's exported, because um, it, it, that figure is actually as high as 29%. So it could be roughly right. double what it yeah. Yeah. Sorry, like, I, I I are he said. Are you, was. are you telling me that a
1: politician <laughs> lied? Yeah.
2: Okay, I'm I, Greg. I'm glad you're sitting down because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna give you some real talk right now. God sometimes damn politicians, it. sometimes politicians lie to you, Greg. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Fuck this it. is how you found out. I'm so sorry. It's
0: devastating for Greg. he just
2: stormed off. Um, but yeah, no, he's misrepresenting. I mean, how much how much he's conscious of how much he's misrepresenting? I don't know. You know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have a dim view of Spencer Cox. You, you
1: made it yeah, up. it's pretty. Spencer Cox is incredibly good at lawyer speak, though.
0: Well, he th- is. Th- that 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 obfuscation was was very intentional. Like he yeah, completely so refused to that. engage. Yeah, he he's really smart about like the way he. And then what's funny is like that number just isn't true either. Potentially, so it's just like, right. yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> I could talk forever about his annoying lawyer brain. <laughs>
2: S- same. And I'm, I'm going to keep talking about them for a second. <laughs> okay, keep going. Just because I want to make this point. I want to get people, people should understand like what we're talking about here. Cause, okay, let's take that 15% figure again. Like you said, there's so much alfalfa grown here that that 15% that we export is the same water usage as every residential lawn and garden in the state. It's about yeah. 6% of all water usage, which is all that's, People's home lawns, right? We get really, we get really fixated on like, oh, people are watering their their lawns, which, yeah, like that's a valid conversation to have. Should we all have Kentucky bluegrass lawns, and you know, from St. George up to Salt Lake City? Yeah, yeah. Um, But also, like, that's the scale of what we're talking about here. Is we're shipping the equivalent of everybody's lawns out of the state with this very precious resource that we do not know how to manage um but yeah yeah. and
0: specifically with the lawn thing and and spencer cox do you remember like there's the whole thing where it's like oh like let your lawn die to like do your part or whatever and he posted a picture of his dead lawn outside of his alfalfa farm and saying like this is the new thing like let your lawn die Literally, yep. where his farm is, like it's it's unbelievable.
1: But <laughs> it, like, but it's, but it's uh, also like that's just that that right there is like the conserve, like the big conservative trick is like. These these existential, these monumental nationwide problems, we saw this during COVID, gets, gets passed down to the absolute lowest rungs and then becomes individualized and atomized down yeah. to the most molecular and granular levels, and it doesn't yeah. work. Me letting no. my lawn die isn't going to help the Great Salt Lake. Like, no. I let it happen, and I'm fine with that, <laughs> but like – It's, it's such a, it's such a bigger problem and it's, it's a way of, of obfuscating the bigger problem by putting the onus on the individual.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. And there, and there is a lot of that. And, um, I mean, that's especially been, um, that's been the case for the last like 20, 30 years. So. Utah is really, really late to the game compared to some other Western states. Other Western cities have really started um, tackling the low-hanging fruit that we're just now getting around to, right? I mean, lawns is an example of this, right? Like uh, other cities that are are drier have have recognized, like, okay, we can't have everybody have a lawn, and that's just the way it is. And we're gonna, you know, yeah, there's not an acceptance of
0: like the climate we live in here for sure.
2: Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's like, that's the thing that policymakers are going to be really slow to get around to that. And it's going to take people at a community level, at a grassroots level, we're going to have to come around to the fact that we live in a desert and we're going to have to hold their feet to the fire. Um, So, I mean, like I want to, so the way that I kind of think about this, when we're talking about like Spencer Cox or the legislature is like, on paper, there's you know like there's there's a certain number of, of fixes, policy fixes that are you know politically feasible, like in the in the you know Overton window or whatever that that people can do. And uh, Spencer Cox and the legislature, they like to pat themselves on the back, but they're not even being that aggressive with the things that we can do. And longer term, you're absolutely right. We need to ask these difficult questions about like. What do we do with our water here? What can we what can we use this water for? And the answer is probably not going to be seventy percent of it going towards you know agriculture, with a with the lion's share of that being alfalfa hay. That especially if we're shipping a substantial portion of that out of state or out of the country, right? So it's like yeah. we need we need those short we need um, the government to get more aggressive in the short term on these policy fixes that are on the table. But then we also got to keep the conversation going and really rethink what's happening because the, the, the I mean, the, even if they play by the rules, like what's on that paper, what's in that policy doesn't match the reality. And it's not going to match the reality in another 20 years, even, you know, by an even greater share.
0: The uh, politicians patting on themselves on the back thing is, is, just it's very frustrating because you know if you I've had conversations with like random state representatives on Twitter, uh, you know, talking about <laughs> about about this problem, and they you know like we joked about the the field trips, but like this is the thing they keep doing. They keep taking field trips out to the Great Salt Lake to you know look at it. I guess. Um, and uh and again like this is more than just the great salt lake is as, uh, as we're talking about it's obviously a big piece of this there's of course like the issues around colorado the colorado river and like the water rights that uh the legacy water rights how that's diverted is all very confusing to me we have issues around uh water rights where it's like you if you don't use it then you lose it um there's a lot of there's there's no incentive really for most farmers to to cut back on water use rather than to just be quote more efficient and with uh, quote new technologies or whatever they like to point to that as well. Um, One of the more recent things is like some like a lot of funding has been uh, diverted, I guess, for like research. I don't really know what exactly the, the deal is. So when you say they're patting themselves on the back, like what do they claim they've done so far? Because it feels like a lot of nothing to me other than just kind of like funding diverted, but there's no actual like we're not actually dealing with like the source problem here. So like what is that funding ostensibly supposed to do?
2: Um yeah, I mean, like you said, like there is funding that goes towards like agricultural optimization techniques. Um, right. So like drip irrigation is um more efficient than like the uh whatever they call it, with like the big the, the sprinklers, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. Um, um so they've put some money towards that so that farmers aren't bearing all the cost of like those upgrades on their own. I don't know. Um I couldn't I can't say how how far that money is going exactly? Um, there is that there, they put forty million dollars towards um, a conservation fund. I'm actually not totally clear on that on what that is um, yeah. either. Um, I think that that might. Well, I don't really know. Um, the The auto the National Audubon Society has become like some kind of proprietor or something of that fund, and they're they're trying to direct that towards like various water conservation to make sure more water gets to the lake or something. Um, One thing that they did do, um, which credit where it's due, they did change um, the the use it or lose it law. Good. Um, So they did make it possible for farmers to lease some of their water rights to go towards conservation they can send if they have extra water they can send it to the lake without risk of losing that water um this measure though like basically like everything else is is voluntary right it's like all of this stuff is like opt-in there's not a lot of like teeth there's a lot of carrot there's not a lot of stick um but i mean that is i mean that law though is is a pretty significant reason why a lot of, I mean, farmers will, will, will say like, I had extra water, you know, or like I watered my main crop. I didn't want to lose the rest of my share. And so I just, you know, grew a, a field of like wheat or whatever that I'm not going to make money off of, but I just don't want to lose my water rights. Right. So that is a step in the right direction. That could be that's good significant. I don't I don't know we, we, I don't, we
0: said this was going to be an optimistic segment so there's 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 the optimism <laughs> Thank you.
2: there's the optimism right there. Um, and another thing that the legislature did do that is uh, that is significant potentially, but again also voluntary is um, it passed a requirement for uh, metering secondary water connections by 2030. It provides money for municipalities to put meters on um, what's called secondary water it's basically just an open tap into residential neighborhoods and until now and well until 2030 when the the bill requires that these meters be attached um, most of the municipalities in the state were just We're just pumping water through these connections, and people would just flood irrigate their their property with it, not even knowing how much water they're using. The metering is going to tell them how much water they're using, but there's no proposal yet to increase the rates on that on those secondary water connections. Right now, it's just it's a it's a flat fee, and you use as much water as you want, and that's not going to change with metering. Yeah. So it's like, okay, that's a step in the right direction. Hopefully that makes some kind of difference in the near term. But again, we've got eight years to hook up those connections and it's voluntary. So, I mean, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the lack of teeth
0: is is the most frustrating thing because like, I mean, we're at this weird thing where it's like, we – this entire state, the people that make all these laws, the people that are diverting this funding, et cetera, all see. I mean, the main people in charge. I'm not like really talking. Uh, some of them I'm talking about local Democrats. I don't know how many, but yeah. like as far as the the Republican super majorities across the state go, have a fundamental belief that the government like shouldn't be doing <laughs> like almost anything, yeah. and that includes. Like enforcing laws or like essentially telling farmers what they can and can't do, and then two, on the other fl- the flip side of that, doing things like for people, so there like there can't be this assumption that's like uh, a transition people out of farming. I, I I had this conversation with a farmer on Twitter like a month ago or something, and I think I talked about it on an episode, but she was saying like. She came at she came at me like super hot, like I had been responding to like an article or a representative or something. I think it was actually I was talking about um, there was this Fox 13 investigative report uh, back in early August where there was this farmer in southern Utah whose uh, um, father came home from World War Two and like developed this this alfalfa farm. Um, and he, like, uh, there was some really good stuff in it. Like he was, he was essentially saying like, you know, this is all just a matter of economics for us. Like we had to have a cash crop. Um, and it, it said alfalfa farmers, like, uh, his name is Luab are trying to irrigate more if, uh, efficiently, but his irrigation pivots are still drizzling 900 gallons a minute onto his alfalfa. Um, that means his field near barrel is receiving as much water every two and a half hours, according to the EPA that the average family of four uses in an entire year. Um, and I, you know, like, I, so I was having this conversation with this farmer and she was like, you know, she came in hot and she was like, like, we haven't done anything like wrong. Essentially. Like this has been my family's like job. Like this is our job. This is what my family has been doing forever. Like, this is like, we, we, we want to keep doing this or like, this is how we sustain ourselves. And like, it's, it's not anything about like wanting to punish anyone or like, Whatever. It's like literally for these people, like we need to be doing we need to be transitioning these industries else, elsewhere. And like the government should be bridging that gap for a lot of these people, because we need to like I, I'd be very happy if my tax dollars went to relocate farmers to a different part of this country where they could continue their work or whatever. Um, and like that isn't will never be on the table for like Republicans, I can only assume. Um, but yeah, anyway, that, I
2: think that's, that's- Absolutely. No, I think that's 100% right is like for as much as uh, Spencer Cox is like, oh, I'm just a down home farmer. You know what I mean? Like he plays up this like the country bullshit drives me up the wall. (laughs) It's, it's, it's really, it's irritating. But I mean, like, and and the thing is, is like, you will see exactly what you're saying is like, when it comes time to actually put money towards a just transition for people like this, who are like farmers like this, who are directly impacted, the Republicans in, in, in our legislature are going to be they're going to be nowhere to be found, right? Spencer Cox is going to talk a big game about like how important it is to like, we have this heritage of farming or whatever. And he's not going to, I, I mean, Hey, I'm glad to, I would be happy to be wrong about this, but he's not going to put up the money for what you're saying is like to help transition people out of this industry, out of these careers, which again, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I don't want to demonize anybody. They didn't do anything wrong. They were, you know, working within the system that they knew. I don't want to punish anybody. I'm not trying, I'm not out to like rile up a bunch of people against, um, you know, alfalfa farmers, right? It's just, we have to like, we have to face reality and some people are going to have to transition out of that career, which is hey, I understand. Like that's, I don't want to do that. Like a nobody, that's not something that's fun for anybody.
0: Right, 100%. And that, that woman was actually sweet. We like ended up having a good conversation. She DM me said she was going to listen to this podcast. I don't know if she ended up doing that because I told her, I warned her that she might not like the politics <laughs> of this podcast. But like, I mean, you know, and uh, this leaves out like the corporations that have taken taken uh, advantage of probably a lot of different, uh, very loose legal loopholes around farming that have allowed them to, um, to ex- exploit that industry. But like, exactly like what you're saying, like she was saying, I mean, this is our home we farm here. Like we, have been doing this for generations. It's like, yeah, I, this is my home too. And I don't want to leave here. And like, you know, there's certain industries that are making the the future of that, uh, pretty impossible. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. it, it's looking like, so it's like, I, you know, we absolutely need to be finding like the humanity in these solutions because it shouldn't be about like punitive measures or anything like that. It's literally about, about preserving the homes of millions of people like that's like that's the reality of like what we're dealing with here, which is um, something I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on. So uh, speaking like specifically about homes in, in that same Fox article, he was, uh, it said, um, it of course, talked about the same things about like how much of uh, water is diverted to grow alfalfa or hay. Um, and if we stop growing hay today, how many more houses could we water in Utah Lazada, he's a researcher or he's a professor of economics at the University of Utah he said residential water use could increase six times um and I'm curious about just like your general outlook on development in this state because like when you think about like residential water use that's that's one thing but we we are on a trajectory of development in this state that I like I worry that like maybe we if we even did come back, cut back on farming quite a bit, the like exponential development and, and population growth in this state. Like, do you have concerns about that as well? Um, even if like we were successful in, in cutting back agriculture.
2: um, Let me, let me let my dog outside real quick. You and gotta then I'll come back and answer that. Sorry. Okay. You're fine. <laughs> okay. I'll be right back. Please remain on the line as we value your call. <laughs>
0: Okay, we're back. So the question, the question being, is development a concern like long term? Like I know, obviously, I mean, right now we're dealing with a small sliver of what the overall water usage is as far as state, the entire state's water use goes. But like, what are your thoughts on the development trajectory we're on?
2: Um yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. Um, I think it's a bit I think it's a bit complicated. I mean, like right you you quoted uh, the economist uh, Gabriel Lozada mm-hmm. um, right? like if you just if you dedicate all of the water towards you know just residential usage, just just homes for human beings, um you I mean, you can you, you could potentially grow, uh, the state a lot more, um, just based on, you know, like that kind of purely utilitarian view of, of, of allocating water. Um, the reality is more complex, right? So, um, I mean, you, you really got to look at, I mean, what is, what is the kind of rationale for our, uh, what is the, what is the, kind of the deep reasoning for uh, why we have the water system that we do. Um, and and I'm, I'm sorry to sorry to go historian mode on you with this. <laughs> oh, please, we have you. <laughs> um, but like in the 19th century, in the early 20th century, we developed this system with significant investment from the federal government to create a large scale uh, infrastructure of irrigation water, so that people could settle in this in this very dry region, right? And so the impetus—I mean, we're, we're, we still see a lot of the vestiges of of this old system in our current system. the The motive really is—I mean, still—I mean, is, agriculture is no longer a growth industry, right? Agriculture is not driving the economy of Utah anymore. But what is driving our economy, and what you hear Spencer Cox talk about all the time, is businesses expanding their operations in Utah, relocating yeah. to Utah, um, you know, starting a facility here, and that's driving population growth. Well, the sales pit, right? Like Spencer Cox is I'm picking picking on Cox, but he's bigger than him, obviously. Yeah. But like, the the sales pitch for Utah as a place to relocate your business or to start a business is there's low taxes and there's almost no regulations, right? Yeah. The minute we turn around and say, hey, actually, we're in a desert for one and there's a bunch of hoops that you're going to have to – Jump through if you want to build an apartment complex, right? You've got to install this kind of water, you know, efficient uh, appliance or whatever. You've got to uh, xeriscape your landscaping, right? Like the minute you start uh, establishing all these regulations, the people up at the Capitol don't like that because they want to be super competitive with all these other states and all of these other municipalities in convincing people to come here as this wonderful place to live because of freedom or whatever and i mean also like the i you know um i i I mentioned like 19th century and and this westward expansion um and you know also like the the focus really is still on uh on um on settlement, on yeah. a particular population finding a nice and cozy home here. Meanwhile, a lot of the water rights for uh, the Native American tribes are are, are un- undeveloped. Um, they've it's been a really uphill fight to try to get Native Americans to get their water rights quantified and. Beyond that, you really need infrastructure to be built to actually use that water. And the state and the federal governments have been extremely stingy in building the kind of infrastructure that will um, allow Native American tribes to uh, to fully use their water rights. And I mean, that's like that's be, that's I really think that that's a fundamental part of all of this is we're 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 trying to use our our, our water sit- our water system is part of a larger political political economy that is focused on growth and profit and if we wanted to retool that to be to exist for human flourishing and you know like the the mutual benefit of the environment as well as humans we could do that and that would look very different and potentially we could you know let the population continue to grow but the way that it's growing currently is a lot of people are are coming here i mean there is natural population growth but in addition to that i mean utah is trying to make itself as competitive as possible for people outside out of the state to start a business here or expand yeah. their operations here and the fact that we we are just dishing out water as fast as we can to make utah seem like any other place in the country is part of the the thing that makes this an attractive sales pitch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that project a few times before and like you have people like Silicon Slopes, I think is like a big uh, purveyor of that marketing project of trying to get as many people as they can to move here. Like Ryan Smith, for instance, when talking about his branding project for the state of utah he envisions this being just like a population center of three or four times of uh, what it currently is across the wasatch front and uh, one of the most psychotic articles i think i've ever
1: read (laughs) um oh is that the one where he was talking about how he thinks the state of utah is a startup yeah yeah and he's trying he doesn't think we have a racism problem he thinks we have a
0: branding problem um yeah it's that one um so like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <I can't. laughs> so as we're closing out here, I um, earlier I was looking at uh, Spencer Cox's website. Sorry, we go back to him again and just talking about like the ways that they're working to preserve the Great Salt Lake. So before we get into, I just want to end on like what you think, you know, specific things that we should be pushing for um, and encouraging are uh, very uh, good representatives to do um his website like it lists three main bullets for uh ways they're working to preserve the great salt lake some of which we've talked about but one about the first one is improving watershed management and um which mainly talks about a a 40 million dollars trust to increase water for great salt lake and improve the lake's upstream habitat Uh, and then there's enhancing water conservation which mentions turf buyback programs again we're like we're talking about residential stuff here require water conservation estate facilities i can't i'm just sure that's very minimal again um none of these really talk about farming except when we get to the third one which is optimizing agricultural tools which is that thing i mentioned earlier like all, all the stuff is entirely like what does that know, even mean well it's it's there they have this thing that's uh it's, it's like what we were talking about earlier with, like, the drip and, like, the, you know, trying to avoid water waste, I guess. Um, and, yeah, so they're, they're allocating $70 million in grant money for agricultural optimization, which is just a great thing. I, lo- I love when people use the word optimization. I think it's awesome. Um, but talk, specifically thinking about Save Our Great Salt Lake, what is – Like your mission, like, what do you think we should be pushing for? What are you pushing for specific policies that we should be changing aside from just these, uh, you know, things that we are hearing from our lovely representatives and governor?
2: Uh, yeah. Um, so in the short term, a couple of big things. I mean, uh, there's like a couple of big bullets that we want to dodge, and that's the Bear River Development Project, which would potentially that would lower Great Salt Lake levels by another foot, just right there. Which is like we cannot afford that. We cannot um, let that happen. There what's being, the like?
0: What, yeah. What's the idea behind the Bear the Bear River Development Project?
2: So the idea is that, um, the, the water rights to the, what's called the natural flow have long been, I mean, that's all been allocated for maybe a hundred years now, but there is uh, spring wat- runoff, right? Like there's an additional, uh, source of water that hasn't been allocated. And that's what is, is, uh, comes from spring runoff and they want to divert that it's about 200,000, um, acre feet. Uh, per year they want to divert that and and pipe that down you know to the Wasatch Front again i mean this is like they just want to make it really really easy for future development but it's not water that the Wasatch Front necessarily needs yeah. um and it would be absolutely just it would be a a disaster for Great Salt Lake
0: um, I will also mention that if you try to go to water.utah.gov, which is the thing they try to point you to, uh, that website's just completely down and nothing on that website works right now as of, Jeez. Um,
2: <laughs> they should, uh, they should probably go back that.
0: up soon, but I was like trying to look, look at stuff earlier and I was like, Oh, it's just down. Um, but anyway, Oh, Oh, it's back up. Oh, thank goodness. It's back up. Everyone world's been saved. Optimistic episode.
2: He loves yeah. to see it.
0: Anyway, I'm so sorry, wanted, continue.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they keep I mean, they're they're being dodgy about it. They they pretend like, oh yeah, we're not looking into that until twenty forty five, but it's like still on the table and they're still putting uh tax money towards developing that project. And we need to take that completely off the table. Um the inland port, if you're already not, yeah. you know, sufficiently pissed off about the inland port, it's the worst um, shit we don't I, we don't know like nobody has any ideas of like their plans i can only assume that it's going to be catastrophic for water specifically in addition to just being a huge you know boondoggle that benefits donors or whatever the hell it is i mean we like whatever that thing is like that's that's got to go um and so that's that's in the near term, right? We're uh, Save Our Great Salt Lake is uh, planning a rally for January during the legislative session, cool. where we, you know Hell we yeah. want to go show out and, and and show the legislature that we mean business. And then in the long term, um, like I said, like our goal is to to gain permanent p- uh, protection for Great Salt Lake. The way that we're going to try to do that, we're building out a strategy where um, we get a, uh, a a legal right to exist for Great Salt Lake um, following a legal movement called rights of nature, which uh, tries to give rights to um, non-humans. And we want to establish like a supervisory board that um, will, you know, have, have some sort of governance over Great Salt Lake specifically. Um, That's a long-term goal. Like I said, we're still building out a strategy for that, but that's the kind of thing that we want to see and you know, is as, as soon as we can put yeah. that together, but I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about like what the long term questions really should be, um, but of course, we do need to focus on things that uh, that are that are here in the short term. Um, and on last thing on on Wednesday, September fourteenth, you've got something coming up at Slackwater. Is this correct?
2: That's correct. Tell yes. us about that. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. So it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a gathering for people to come out and, you know, interface with us in person. And um, I'm also going to be giving a, a short presentation. Um, I'm, you know, as, as you've gotten a sense of from this podcast, I'm very interested in kind of like the roots of, of our water system in going back to settlement, going back to like 19th century and the ways that like manifest destiny, for instance, has, um, you know, fed into the, the way that we think about water in the current day. Um, and so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of break down that concept a little more, give a little bit of a, give a little bit of a history presentation and hopefully people will, will, uh, get something, get some enlightenment out of that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I just want to, do you, do you have a podcast I can just listen to you talk forever on?
2: <laughs> I, I I don't. <laughs> well, I, don't, we I, don't wanna, I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you want to encourage that. But well, um, I mean, well, listen, it's been nice
1: being a member of Brigham Young Money. That's Appreciate right. You guys, thank you for the opportunity for
0: replacing Greg with me. <laughs>
1: um,
0: yeah. Okay. So show up on Wednesday. Um, I'll get this out before then, and I know people can join. Uh, the petition on save our great salt lake.org anything else we should be pointing people to at the moment
2: um i mean f- follow our instagram is I, that is that seems like something kind of trivial but no, i mean honestly good. like yeah i mean if you're not following us g- follow our instagram save our great salt lake um that's where we can you know we that's how we get in touch with people if there is you know a, a Something that we can mobilize people on in, in the near term—that's going to be the channel. So uh, make sure you're following. Oh, we also do on the Instagram too. We also do some some neat, nifty uh, infographics and stuff, and kind of uh, b- uh, break some com some con uh, some concepts. Sorry, there we go. Brain is... <laughs> we break down some concepts yeah. so people can kind of digest what's going on. So
0: love to see it. We'll put everything in the description. Um, if you live in Utah, even if you don't, especially just, uh, please, <laughs> please do everything you can for this project because, uh, I would like to continue. Um, I think I'm not alone in thinking, uh, that it would be ideal to continue being able to inhabit this place. Uh, and there's a lot of people depending on like the success of, um, all of us being able to make this happen. And it's, uh, unfortunately there's a, a lot of, uh, obstacles up against us, but Nate, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad we have smart people like you on the case because, uh, um, you know, it feels like something that's pretty important. And I know this wasn't as optimistic as I'd promised, but whatever, (laughs) there's a little bit in there and Nate's cool. So that's good. That's good enough for the optimism (laughs) meter. If you
2: ask me, thanks so much. It was, it was a pleasure guys. Thank you.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And again, check out the links in the description and we'll see you all next time.
1: Bye.
2: Nigel, just an extraordinary woman, a great woman who could be greater than what she's done. And, She did it so long so well and never made mistakes.